Well, good morning, all. You are uh, to be applauded and awarded, and will be. There will be extra crowns in your throne, in your uh, extra jewels in your crown, because it's 8:30, and you're all here. Um, I'm uh, Don Thompson. My uh, co-conspirator is uh, Michael Callahan, who is hiding in the audience. One of you will soon stand up and move up to the front, thereby identifying yourself as Michael Callahan. Thank you. Thank you very much. I knew that would happen eventually. Um, uh, we are going to talk about uh, curative um, health care missions, medical care missions, short-term medical missions is the liberty that I took with the, uh, the uh, title. Um, that's in contrast to, to preventive care, community development, um, lots of other aspects of, of uh, medical and health care missions. So, so uh, my intent, unless you all direct or redirect us, is to, is to talk a little bit about the, the challenges and opportunities in medical, medical missions, surgical missions, and dental missions. Mike's a dentist. I don't do teeth. I am not a surgeon. I'm a physician. I do family medicine, preventive medicine, public health. I uh, talk to a lot of surgeons. I uh, get a, any surgeons in the, in the room. I need to be very careful with what I say then. What kind of surgeon are you? Okay, good. Then so far I can get away with what I need to say about surgeons. Um, any surgeons over on this side? Okay, great. Well, how about dentists in the room? Mike, you're preaching to the choir. Good. Well, you need, you're going to be convincing them on the importance of having dentists in the room because uh, um, the, the, uh, having a multidisciplinary team is, is absolutely essential in our humble opinions. And we're not always right, but... Pretty, well, anyway, fairly, some of the time we're right. At least 5% of the time. At least 5% of the time. So, so um, curative short-term missions focus on disease, disease treatment. The unique focus is more on disease treatment. I'm not dissing or dismissing the need for prevention. I'm a preventive medicine doc and a family practice doc. I believe in prevention. It's a whole lot more more. Uh, cost-effective to uh, go upstream and find out why people are falling in the river than just fishing them out of the river downstream. So uh, no question about that. My task for this morning is, to, is for us to talk about curative uh, medical missions. So we're going to talk about that, and we're talking about it in the short-term focus. Um, Mike and I both work at, with uh, Global Health Outreach, the short-term clinical um, medical missions arm of the Christian Medical and Dental Associations. I'm, uh, I'm paid. Mike's a volunteer, so Mike gets more crowns, more jewels in his crown. I get a little bit of money. Um, so, so the other areas up here are, are absolutely essential. There are groups that do medical education and training in short-term missions, um, definitely important in building capacity. There are groups that do community health education, and you've heard that E used in a different word, in a different word community health evangelism which is very effective at opening doors and getting in. And then, of course, the preventive side with uh, water, sanitation, immunizations, nutrition, bang for your buck. There's a whole lot more there than in curative medical missions, but we're not going to talk about that. We're going to talk about curative um, missions. Now, the, the unique opportunities that go with curative uh, short-term medical missions is you're encountering people, encountering people at their time of greatest, their greatest recognized need. They're coming in because they have some kind of a physical problem and they want, they want help. So it's a great opportunity to provide 
um, hope and compassion to share the true source of hope and compassion to earn the right to share a more holistic solution, and that is the hope and compassion of Jesus Christ. Now, who in here has heard of the bio, psycho, social, spiritual, uh, holistic aspect of in, in medical care? For, for decades now, it's been more than just fix the body, let the psychiatrists worry about the mind, let the social workers worry, worry about other things, and then if all else fails, go see your pastor or go see somebody else who can handle those. We're, we're to take on that holistic solution. So, so by addressing that holistic solution right up front, as Michael probably say, while the anesthesia is working, he's addressing the, the uh, entire holistic um, solution, um, we, can, we can address we can identify and address um, some, some more needs. Now, unique challenges is when, when, you're doing, uh, when you're doing medical care, you have to have uh, high-quality ethical care. You have to have high-quality moral care. And the medical care that you provide, whether it's, whether it's outpatient, inpatient medicine, surgery, dentistry, has got to be high-quality. We don't go around and experiment on people in, in Christian medical and dental associations. You're... You're credentialed to do, and to do certain things at home, and those same things that you do at home, you can do on the mission field. Um, I don't lift lids. I'm not a neurosurgeon. I don't lift lids on the field. I don't pull teeth in my, in my uh, family practice. Um, I don't pull teeth on the field. Medical students learn to sew under supervision of a physician, and medical students can learn to sew under the supervision of a physician in the field with more caution because if it comes across like you're experimenting or you're using patients as a, uh, as a uh, training mannequin, then there's an uh, increased uh, risk there, increased concern. So, so we handle that medical students, dental students, very carefully. Um, sometimes we're a little bit more conservative and we actually pull back a little bit and say, well, yeah, you probably could learn how to inject a joint in Guatemala, just as you could in, in uh, Little Rock. But in this case, why don't the, the staff doc can demonstrate how it's done, but he'll hold the needle all throughout. So, so yeah, we, we do pull back a little bit in order to, to uh, not send a message that we're exper experimenting on patients. Big challenge is that medicine here in Louisville, medicine in, medicine in the Mayo, medicine in Vanderbilt, medicine at Hopkins, medicine at... Uh, Possum Squad General Hospital is still a lot different than what you find in many of the places where we work. And, and you need to, uh, the, the, the practitioner who's practicing in rural, pick your country, um, culturally sensitive care is very different there than, than it is going to be back at the ranch. Um, and then finally, government requirements for, for you going to practice in India or China or Afghanistan or Zambia or Ghana or Guatemala or Honduras are going to be different, seven different ways that it could be different from the way it is back home. And that's very fair. That's very legitimate. It's very appropriate. Anybody come, anybody, a uh, foreign medical graduate who tried to get a license here in the United States, you know how high that hurdle is. So, so, uh, Every government has, uh, every sovereign state has the right and the obligation to provide for their own people. Um, we pay license fees. We, pay we, we buy temporary medical licenses when necessary. Um, 
I'm going to jump out and show you some of the requirements that we have. Um, I am uh, new to Max, so bear with me while I try to figure this out. Okay. Um, these are required documentation for a particular country, and if I go over one, uh, one, a couple more fields, this is how we send out our documentation, whether it goes ahead to the Ministry of Health, if it goes to our national partner in country, if our team leader actually carries it, and you can see in-country registration costs um, for, for various teams. So Afghanistan, we have to get a business visa. In Burkina Faso, tourist visa. In um, Cambodia, you can see 60 days out, we have to FedEx something. We have to get things notarized. El Salvador, look at how long that line is. This is, uh, let's go to El Salvador. 90 days in advance, we have to send credentials just for the doctors and the, the physicians and the dentists. It's got to be notarized within, within Global Health Outreach. We have to send uh, details to, the, um, to our national partner. Um, one of my staff has to go to our local county courthouse and obtain a seal verifying her notary, license, her notary status on every credential. Then we have to send that into the state of Tennessee. Hurdles for, for every one of these. If you're not doing medical admissions, you don't have to worry about this. But we do. We, we have um, lots of requirements. Uh, you can see we have uh, 36 countries, um, 36 different rules. We had a team last, or about two weeks ago, going to a country in Africa that three times in the final week the rules changed. Any one of those could have, could have put the kibosh on the team going. But we had a lot of... Uh, a lot of uh, team members were scrambling over the weekend. The team leader said, ah, sleep is overrated. Now, if I can figure out how to get back to my slides. Now, we, I've, got a, I've got the same kind of checklist on um, – I'm trying to turn off mirroring displays. There's displays. Um, arrangement. There it is. My daughter is a video, video editor for Discovery Channel, and she arranges her books on her bookshelf by color, and I just cannot comprehend some things like that. I think Mac, Macs were designed for people like that. <laughs> My apologies if you're right-brained. Okay, so now we're back to where we were. Um, so that's, that's the prelude to, to medical, medical needs. Medical need, any, anytime you're cutting, you're cutting on, you're touching a patient is pretty high hurdles. I do not want to make, I don't want to make it easy for you all to do the wrong thing. I want you to go in with eyes wide open on this. It can be done. We do it. I'd like to say we do it very easily. We don't. We sent out a record um, 10 teams in October. Um, several of my staff are still in psychotherapy. Um, we've, we've identified areas that need efficiencies. Our pharmaceutical management, I did not show you that spreadsheet. Most, many countries require pharmaceuticals to have a year out on their expiration date, and they require a full inventory of everything we're sending with expiration date by every item 30 days in advance. You know how hard that is to get. 
how many of you all pay attention to what you're doing on a team 30 days in advance? Well, one or two of one or two of us do, but very often we find that our trip participants start preparing for the trip usually the, the first night after they have arrived in country because everyone's very busy. So we're handling we handle this for for um, our teams and uh, it's no small bit of work. Um, so now just specifically talking about medical for for clinical medicine. You've got choices, outpatient versus inpatient. Most of ours are outpatient primary care. We take intensivists. We take, uh, I had an oncologist. I don't see him in the room. I had an oncologist with me in Afghanistan. He did primary care medicine. He remembered that, yeah, he had learned that 20 or 30 or 40 years before. <laughs> um, challenges with that, though, you have limited follow-up. You're not going to be there in two weeks probably, and you need to identify as much as possible who will be there, who is, what are the sources. That's where you lash up very closely with your national partner and you learn where, what are the referral networks. Many of the people we see have limited health literacy. Health literacy is different than literacy. If you, uh, you want to dig into that, um, Health and Human Services and uh, it's another group. You can email me. I'll give you my contact information afterward, but they provide um, some instruction on, on health literacy, on literacy and cultural competence. And for if you need to get continuing medical edu education hours, it's approved for four or five free hours. HHS approved for nine hours. So it uh, talks a little bit about health literacy. But it's how people are going to understand what you're giving them. They have no idea of, of uh, the scientific method. Sometimes I wonder if I do. Then, then giving them one pill to take once a day for a week um, until the pills are gone, not until their symptoms are gone. And, and you often find that you know, they take it until they feel better, and then they save those for next time. We know that breed re breeds resistance, but at the same time it takes an extra um, uh, level of, of communication with them so that they'll really understand more about uh, uh, the compliance aspect. Opportunities for medical missions are huge, though. There are many needs, many opportunities for encounters with lots of people. Very, we find it very, very, very rewarding. Um, by the way, questions, comments, criticisms, throw your hand up. Please don't throw tomatoes, but throw your hand up, and we love to have interruptions. Um, surgical side of things, my, we, we are uh, providing more and more surgical opportunities in uh, global health outreach, and we have two main areas. We have a big teaching hospital. We work in Hospital Escuela in Tegucigalpa, Honduras, 1,800-bed teaching hospital with every residency known. And then there are small missions hospitals that have two, three, four ORs. And some of those small hospitals are manned all the time. They have local staff. They have local surgeons. They have local nurses. Others seem to have a caretaker staff, and then they can do surgery when, when a, an external surgical team comes in. The risk of that is post-op complications inevitably happen when you're driving away or a day or two after you've driven away. And so it's important to have some kind of arrangement in place, either with a local, local surgeon or a local referral uh, surgeon who's, who's within a reasonable distance. Or what we've talked about on some teams is having most of the team leave on a certain day, but then one surgeon and one nurse stays another day or two. Just, just to pick off more of those people that are, that are likely to have problems. Um, I am, uh, as a family practice doc, I carry all my tools in one hand. Surgeons, for some reason, want their patients unconscious. And that requires 
gas. It requires people to pass that gas. It requires post-op recovery. It requires a whole lot more equipment. So surgical missions usually require more of a partnership with a fixed facility that can, that can uh, support that. Huge opportunities. When I go in and, and treat someone for their their worms or their, their aches and pains, the uh, chances are pretty good that another month or two or three, the physical, their physical condition is going to be back the way it was before, um, which is why we put quite a focus on their spiritual condition. When a surgeon goes in and removes a tumor, a disfiguring tumor in someone's neck or face that, that had pretty much labeled them as having a devil or having a demon, or does some kind of other surgery, someone who's a hip replacement or a joint replacement, where they're totally an invalid and we're not able to get out of their house, um, quality of life changes tremendously. If uh, there's a vascular surgeon in the group, what kind of surgery are you studying? General surgeon. Well, you're probably going to be a vascular surgeon after you do general surgery. Um, the, uh, the teaching hospital in Tegucigalpa has a dialysis unit. They have 47, 47 people who are coming in every other day for dialysis. They have no vascular surgery residency. They have cardiothoracic surgery, and most cardiothoracic surgeons that I've met know how to do vessels, but it's usually on a big pumping thing here. It's not on, a, on an extremity to put in a shunt. So these people are getting their dialysis through central lines. They're having to have this bulky dressing on the central line, much greater risk of infection. So they're essentially homebound. They leave the house. They go to the hospital every other day, get their dialysis, come back home. And a vascular surgeon can go down there and uh, two hours outpatient procedure in the outpatient uh, um, procedure room. And, and two vascular surgeons in a week, we ran the numbers could, uh, could give these people a new lease on life. There are plenty of dialysis units. That, that's not the rate-limiting step. And, of course, you, the, uh, the guys who run the dialysis unit go to the CT surgeon, and they beg them to do their cases. But it's just not, it's not sexy to do peripheral shunts when you, when you do that versus doing open hearts. So there's a huge uh, impact, life-changing surgery that, uh, that can come from that. I will yield the microphones, and you're required to wear both of them. There's one I didn't walk far. That's for people to hear, and this that's for people to hear now, and this is for people to hear later. Okay. My name is Michael Callahan. As uh, Don said, I'm a dentist, and I'm a, have a private practice in Michigan, and I uh, lead teams as a volunteer with Global Health Outreach uh, three times a year, Cambodia, Nicaragua, and India, and it's a great pleasure. And, you know, we're talking about curative, and, of course, the biggest cure, we you know, is, is, is relationship with Jesus Christ. And so that's, that's our driving force behind uh, what we do. Um, we're not here, and if you disagree, tell me, because you're the boss. But in the manuals I have for my teams, I tell everyone, is that um, uh, ministry in the name of Jesus is our number one mission, and health care is a distant second. And one reason I get that word out, because I want to filter people on the team. I don't want some people on the team. I want people God has chosen for the team, not people who just want to save whales, because that can, that can be difficult, though God cares about whale savers too. So there's, there's challenges. Uh, 
it's really um, dentistry. Uh, go to the next slide. Do you have the button thing? Down. Hassle. It's a hassle, okay? Which sounds kind of negative, so much of a positive mental attitude. I'm a dentist. I do this. I, I like doing it. But it is a massive hassle to do dentistry going from site to site, day to day, especially if you're doing restorative dentistry, you know, bonded fillings, glass onomer fillings, amalgam fillings, surgical procedures, you know, cleanings. It is, it's, it's a semi, it's really complicated. Um, but the, the punchline beyond that, it is a powerfully effective ministry. So there's, there's, a, there's a, a pot of gold at the, at the end of the rainbow. There's, there's a reason for the labor, okay? So, oh, I meant to do that. Okay. So there's, there's, there's challenges. Determining what range of services. So uh, is anyone, did anyone come in later who's involved in dentistry in, in a short-term mission? Okay. Okay, good. And so... Um, there's a, a need to recruit people. It's, it's a phenomenal. Dentistry is very, very well suited, in my opinion, to short-term missions. Uh, we don't need ultrasounds or CT scans. We can pretty much visually, most of the time, the visual and physical exam and, and talking to the patient, determine kind of what's going on. We can provide pretty long-lasting relief on a lot of levels. Um, there's, in places like Cambodia, where that first that picture was under, under the word hassle, there's endless extraction need. I've been told that, and you, you might hear that about maybe Ecuador or Nicaragua and El Salvador, and that's probably really not true. If all you're going to do is have three dentists showing up to pull teeth, by 1230, they may have nothing to do because people come in. I had a lady in Condega, Nicaragua, living in a dirt floor house. She wanted me to replace a silver filling on a lower wisdom tooth with a tooth-colored filling because it was dark. I thought cosmetic dentistry out here. It's amazing. Okay. So, but you want to determine the range of services. It's a whole lot easier if you're going to provide extractions. That is, it is, it is pretty much the easiest thing to provide. And pretty much the, the, probably if you're going to do one thing, that's what you're largely going to provide. But also then you have to have, besides having staffing to do it and some protocols in place, because to do anything poorly is bad. You know, you really want to, to do things right. And, and Don mentioned what, what are formally called our clinical care guidelines in JHO, and I'm going to reiterate that. If it's not legal for you to provide a certain care in the United States, our policy is you don't provide it somewhere else. Now, not everyone feels that way. I mean, a lot of, and I heard something last night that differed than that. So I'm not trying to be argumentative about that. I'm very comfortable with our policy. I will say that. But you also have to have the provision of appropriate equipment and supplies. You, you know, Don has a handful, and surgeons have whatever they have, but they're usually at fixed sites. We're, we're, we're bumping in the back of, of, of a pickup truck going from A to B under a tree one day and in, in, in a carport one day, and who knows where we're at the third day. And so we have to have all these different supplies and generators with power that's supposed to work, and it is very complicated. It doesn't mean it's not valuable. It's wonderfully valuable, but it is complicated. So you want to go in, like Don said, with eyes wide open. The opportunities are vast. And uh, as a dentist, I really enjoy being a dentist. And I, I went on my first trip uh, several years ago to Haiti with GHO. I, uh, first day was horrible. I really wanted to go home. No joke. Second day was great. And I went to lunch, and there was a, a family practice physician. And I said, how was your day? And I'm thinking, it, mine was great. I hope it, she said, I had a horrible, day, horrible morning. I said, really? She said, yes, yeah, someone came with a prolapsed uterus. I gave them multivitamins. Did this big growth in their cornea? Gave them multivitamins. 
I thought, oh, wow. You know, I saw these massive infections and horrible teeth, and I was only doing extractions there, but I was able to take every bad tooth out, out on every person I saw that morning. And I felt really thankful to be able to do that. So it's, it's really a, it's a great fa- And also from the standpoint, and, and I'll happy to be a resource. If you know dentists to help bring in your teams or whatever your involvement is, I'm happy to do this. I do that with GHO. And I just I work for the Lord, you know, and GHO is, is a great venue for the Lord in my life. But any way I can help, I'm happy to help. And so, um, but to help, for example, you get someone numb. And what my, every all different protocol, and I don't have one agenda. One, um, I always have one agenda: do God's work His way. But what, any specific format, it's God's always doing something different. You kind of roll with Him. And so, uh, oftentimes, so I get someone numb. We'll say, okay, we make a diagnosis. So let's take out these three bad teeth up here. And then while you're getting numb, do I have your permission to talk about things that really matter, things of, of, of eternal consequence? And almost every time I have permission. So they're getting numb, and you have several minutes. And I have a little kneeling pad, like it says Ace Hardware. I'm not marketing for Ace, but like a little kneeling pad, because we have lawn chairs, and, and I don't do it standing up. So I kneel down, so I'm like eye level with them. And you get to talk to people. And it's really amazing. And, it's, and it's, dentistry scares people worldwide. I mean, I, I was, went to a dentist's office to have lunch uh, a while ago, and I'm sitting in his waiting room, and I'm hearing the, the high-speed handpiece. You guys call it the drill. And I start to get, like, goosebumps and start getting sweaty, thinking, this is ridiculous. I'm here to go to lunch. I'm a dentist for 30 years, and I'm still scared by these sounds. And so, and so it's just it, but it's wonderful to minister kindness and compassion. And to touch people gently in the name of Christ, and to, to be able to do that is a is 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 a, a phenomenal blessing. And, and most of my dental colleagues have no idea how much we can do to honor Christ and, and advance His kingdom. So, um, oh, wrong direction. So that it is a hassle, though. It's it's I, I I'm a, I'm the keeper of the handbook, and so I'm going to change it after last night, actually, too. And the GHO Dental Handbook. I've got I could email it to you, Don. I think that's okay. And, um, and it, it gives dentist line information. It's kind of how we do things, but in, which is pretty well thought out. But we're, uh, trust me, a work in progress. Um, but it, it gives some, some idea. But on that list, they have the, the, the master list of supplies to bring. If you're doing exodontia, extractions, or restorative also. And it is an oppressive list. I'm a dentist. My basement looks like a little warehouse. And I've never, always, I've never got it right yet. I've done it, packed up maybe 12, 15 times. I'm still goofing up. It's just, it's, but it is a, a powerfully effective ministry tool. And I'm going to give, can I give one example or not? I'm taking more than six or seven minutes. Okay. Okay. Any questions? Thank you. And then you can ignore them and give your questions. Okay. This is this is an example, and it, this this can work the same way whether you're, you're doing public health nursing or or you're checking their BP or whatever else you're doing. But there's a lady there in Inner Mongolia, China, and we were told we can't really share the name of Jesus much, and they kind of um, yeah I think that's purposely kind of faded. So. so so, you know, but we, God, God gave me a, a translator who was a, a, she was Billy Graham in a young Chinese lady body, basically. I mean, she was like a gift from God, not like she was a gift from God. And she's an evangelist at heart, and husband was a leader in a house church ministry. He gave us a frosted glass door that locked in this little clinic in the middle of nowhere in Inner Mongolia. And so Jesus had a plan. 
and we were able to walk in that plan. And so I would put my hand in her hand, and I'd say, you know, I just want you to know my name is Dr. Mike. I'm from, I don't speak Mandarin, but she did, and I'm from the U.S., and we're here just to show you the love and compassion of Jesus Christ. How can I help you? Something like that. And so when you'd say that, you just kind of, you know, you're, you're, you're holding her hand, and you're, you're, you're with them, you know. You're in their bubble. And you can just tell she kind of bristled. So I mentioned to the translator whose nickname was Sonny, and my assistant, who was a dental medical student, actually, I said, you know, this lady doesn't want to hear about Jesus, so we just get to show her some Jesus. And so for an hour and 20 minutes, I was able to, it was the first time I, I had bought my own equipment to do, try to do better dentistry, um, partly because I'm impatient, partly because I want to do good things, um, but to do good equipment, brought, bring all this stuff, and to be able to fix her front teeth. She had these black front teeth. They weren't abscessed. It wasn't decay between every anterior tooth, so he was able to do something really valuable and useful, as opposed to you fix two cavities, I got 43 more. It's like, you know, sort of, what am I doing this for? But um, so I got all done, and someone took a picture, I guess it was the assistant, and I handed her to the mirror, and she looked at it, and she smiled. She put her hand on my hand, and she said in Mandarin, now tell me about this Jesus. And so to me, that's an example of the value of dentistry. Now, I, that, that trip I saw three or four people in the morning and three or four people in the afternoon. And sometimes I've seen four people a day only doing restorative dentistry. And if there's 300 people lined up, it's a nightmare. In Cambodia, the first time I went with a team a year or so ago, me and another guy who was an oral surgeon, and they're great at extracting teeth. And I've done a lot of surgery myself, too. But we saw 101 people in one day. I never want to do that again. Michael Callahan did not enjoy that. But that's what God would have us do that day because there's just endless patience and there was the need. And we just felt the call to, you know, go quicker than I like to do. So, um, so but dentistry, I think, is very well suited to, to short-term missions. It's, um, we're working to help the dentist pool uh, in our operation. And, and CMDA just got a, a dental director, and we think that's going to help, praise God. So that's it. Any questions for Don, who's the big man? You've got the mic. So why don't you oh. take the questions? Right? Any questions? We can, Any qu- I questions? can speak into your chest. <laughs> no questions. Okay. Oh, no, no, no. They're just oh, warming up. They're warming question. up. See? Uh, my question is, how do you address the difference between doctors and dentists who tend to be very type A personalities when they're going into cultures where time isn't quite of the essence that we have in this country? Okay. Have you heard of the term chill pill? Uh, I have, but I know doctors don't take that very well. Yeah. Well, that, that is an excellent question, and it really talks about team building. Do you want to answer that? Yeah, I think you've got the credits for doing that. Okay. So, um, Mike has had to take chill pills. So I, I, I am a, I'm a poster child for chill pills, okay? But it is absolutely essential. That, that, that's a great question. And so what I do is I have a team orientation manual. And now I'm at the point... If someone applies, unless I already know them, I send them the manual, I say, and I don't accept them on the team. That's GHO, has, we, they apply, and then I get an email. And so I say, hey, take a look at this manual, read over it carefully, and then we'll talk. And in there it says all those, many of those, and I can send, I have manuals, and you can modify them and plagiarize them, whatever. But it, it, it basically lays it out. And, you know, it says leave your ego at the door, stuff like that. And, um... And the purpose of this trip is not to see how much health care we can do. The purpose, and so I, I had a, an OBGYN on the phone. I'm driving back from a dental course in Chicago, and she starts selling herself to me about what a great clinician she is. 
And I said, you know, honestly, that's of second, second importance to me. I'm interested in your heart. I want humble servants of a worthy master. And she went, you could just, there was a silence for three seconds. I sent her the manual. She called another OBGYN in a team who, we, we were mutual friends. And she said, what's this going on there? You know, to, you know she read this. She said, I, I, I and she had been on a Christian medical mission where they said grace three times a day. And so she read the manual and she, she did not want to be part of our group. Well, praise God. I've had another, other people. I've worked with Buddhist pharmacists, a Hindu uh, dentist, an uh, a Orthodox Jewish PA who understood some of those terms and understood and came along and were valuable people in a team, and God had them there for a reason. But I think that's if, if you find that out when you get off the airplane in, in Zimbabwe, you got troubles in Dodge. But, you know, I'd rather fail on the first date then after we, we, get, we get hooked. And if they understand what the terms of engagement are, then as a team leader, you have a right to say, Fred, you're outside the boundaries of what, what, what our mission values are. I need to talk to you. you, let, me talk into yeah. your let me talk into your chest now. <laughs> um, what, we, what we'll do is uh, one of the, one of the main jobs. Tell about the taser. <laughs> Not on the first date. Okay, okay. Uh, what we what we do the, the, one of the main jobs of the team leader is not to crank out patients. It's not to um, it's not only to keep the team secure and to inter, interrelate with the national partner. It's also to keep a good eye on what's going on with the uh, different team members, and that's management by walking around. And when I when I see or when one of my other team members says that Doctor X or or P A Y or or somebody is looking a little bit stressed, I uh, often will go in with my massive handful of equipment and say, they need your help in the pharmacy. I'll take over here for an hour or so. Or it looks like you need to go to the bathroom. Why don't you go take a potty break? Just something like that. And they know what that really is. I've taken one of my uh, co-team leaders, who is now a team leader, and and I just I just walked up to her and I said, Gloria, oops, I gave her name away. Let's just go take a walk. And we just, we just walked through this brothel, and I didn't say a thing. She said, I need to back down, don't I? I'm getting too wound up on this, aren't I? I didn't say a thing. So it's just a matter of keeping an eye when somebody's doing that. If, if you don't feel that you have the credibility to do that, there should be someone on the team who does that you need to pre-identify and everyone on the team needs to know. Um, we've got a, I've got a team leader who has um, the buddy system. You know, wh- who you, with the person with whom you're rooming, of course, is your overt buddy, but he also assigns covert buddies. So if you're on my team, you know who is your roommate, but there's also someone else who's looking out for you. And then they'll come to me or, or somehow help take care of, of, uh, of those needs. I am not real sensitive to people's needs. I mean, I just retired from the military. I got away with dealing with problems, and it usually is in megatons. Um, but, but there are other people, like my wife, who are a little bit more sensitive and can balance that, and then they will help, they'll help uh, recognize that and take the appropriate action, not the homicidal action. I saw another question, another hand somewhere.
there also training that goes on to those, those uh, positions in the field? And how do, you, how do you deal with the training as well as giving the care at the same time? The question was, uh, how do we work with our national doctors and dentists and, and medical students and dental students and, and train at the same time? And that's one of the most important ways to build capacity in another country. Um, we try to get paired up with, uh, uh, as Mike mentioned, uh, you had an interpreter. You had an assistant who was an American medical student. Um, I've had my interpreter in Ethiopia was an Ethiopian medical student, fifth year, so he had just a year to go. He learned a lot about differential diagnosis. He learned a lot about being bold with his faith. I learned a lot about culture. Somebody would walk in and simply by her body habitus, he'd say, she's rich. Some of it was clothes, but some of it was, was frankly, her, her BMI. Um, he, uh, it, I, I learned in Emmerich how to say respectful greetings. I've since forgotten, but I would go, at, go out and get patients and bring them in and sit them down in the seat right opposite me. I had a desk, and it was pushed over against the wall, and my tools were on it. And he sat in the corner in a chair, and then my patient sat next to the corner of the desk, and my chair was right opposite, knee to knee, almost touching. It was very intentional on my part. And, and they would come in, and I would wish them respectful greetings and Amarek, and they would sit down, and then they'd turn to him and start talking. And, and they'd do the interview, and I just sat down for a little bit frustrated. I said, I know I'm slow on languages, but what's going on here? And, and after the third or fourth time, I, I said, now, what is, how do you pronounce this? Why am I not getting this right? He said, oh, you're pronouncing it just fine. Ethiopians are not used to their patients treating them respectfully. Their doctors treating them respectfully. So I gave him that famous Air Force term, is, which means shack, meaning on target. And he said, you're right. I need to start treating my patients more respectfully. And then a couple of patients later, I, I needed a potty break, and I had just mistreated a kid for, for uh, malaria. Bob, you weren't on that team. It was one of, my other pharm- one of the other pharmacists. But I, I, uh, I went out back, and I had given him the adult dosage for his uh, malaria, and he was about 18 kilos or something. And, and uh, the, the next patient who had come in had, was the 19th patient we had seen in the last three days who had dysuria for, or back pain for, or something for forever. Uh, it wasn't really cute. So I said to him, why don't you start talking to her, take her history, and then I'll be back. I'll be back in about three or four minutes. And I took care of business and then went over to the pharmacy and fixed my mistake there and then came back in. And can you believe it? My Ethiopian medical student had the gall of leading this lady to Christ without me being there. So I learned a lot on that trip just to shut up, sit back, and watch the Holy Spirit working. But but his my my interaction with him was probably the most important on that entire team. So we are very deliberate in trying to get local docs, dentists, medical local medical students, local dental students, because then we can really disciple. Sir? Uh, not personally. I don't personally use local drugs, but it depends on the laws. In, in uh, uh, Mexico, we are not allowed to bring in any medications. We must purchase all med- medications in Mexico. In, in Nepal, we can take medications, but they're supposed to all be blister-packed in one pill per container. That's kind of a pain. We don't sell those commonly that way. We, we, bring, we buy ours by the thousands. So... Um, in many other teams, we in many other countries, we bring in our own. It's more of a hassle to collect them. We're starting to buy more 
and put them in our warehouse and then ship them because we have now this what's turned into really 60 days out for getting the team the team's formulary organized when we're when we're required to buy them locally of course we do and and yet you can't always rely on on uh, uh, quality of them USAID funded a study that was uh, written up by the US Pharmacopeia and just a few years ago, and they looked at five essential drugs, a TB drug, an antibiotic, and a few others in five different countries, not all in Africa, but in Africa and Asia and several other places. And it was county options. One county, one, one uh, country, they were able to manufacture the TB drug great, but then two of the others were, were terrible bioavailability, and it was just the opposite in several others. So you, you, do, with, you do what you have to, you do what you can, um, but you can't do the same thing in every country. Sir. Uh, question about credentialing. Uh, uh, most countries recognize MD and RN, but have you had difficulties with uh, getting PAs or nurse practitioners or DOs credentialed? We have not. In, oh. in, in, in India last year, our medical director <laughs> was a DO, and he wouldn't give him a license, but all the PAs had licenses as medical doctors. So it, it is variable in that one instance. So he had a humility pill. Yeah. And we, we asked the, med, the Medical Council of India why, and they simply don't recognize the DO. The, the, uh, they just. <laughs> in India. Yeah, in India, at least as of uh, a year and three months ago. Have you ever gone and partnered with clinics or hospitals where nationals are working and doing poor quality work, and how do you handle that? Have we partnered in places where locals are doing, uh, the local docs are doing poor quality work? Um, Quality is in the eyes of the beholder, isn't it? Um, when I partner with Mike, Mike trains me in things. When I get a phone call from Mike, I clear my schedule because I know I'm about to get very good information from Mike. Um, we often work in places. I, I have team members that I think are, could learn something from me if I, spent some, if, I, if I earned the right to talk to them, to, to teach them. At the same time, they have things to teach me. So um, we always want to rub off in a positive way on everyone. And, it, and some of it's medical, surgical, dental. Some of it's spiritual. Some of it's relational. Um, my wife brings a two-by-four, a collapsible two-by-four, um, uses it regularly. Um, the scars are starting to heal. So, yes, that's a uh, – but the goal, the goal of what we're doing is to build capacity. It's to build spiritual disciple-making capacity in our indigenous uh, uh, national partners, it's also to build medical and dental and surgical capacity with those with whom we work. Can I weigh in a little? Um, in one ex I've had a couple experiences where um, one time I, um, I intervened. We were working in, uh, with a group, and it was in Cambodia, and there was a dentist with like nine dental students, and it just wasn't appropriate. It wasn't safe. It wasn't a safe environment. They were had needles all over the place. And, uh, and I just I kind of put out some little feelers. So finally I had to pull the plug, a little brief meeting. This will not take place again. And so, and then, and so sometimes, if you, like in India, I had an HIV clinic. There was not appropriate you know, uh, barriers and disinfectants. So I had very carefully and delicately and politically astutely and prayerfully deal with that a little bit. So there are some times where you just, you, you, where, it, you know, you have to really pray and ask for discernment 
you know, and it, it is not a matter of doing things my way because I know I'm smart and you're not. But there are certain transcendent values that we must honor in caring for people under the banner of Christ. So. And one aspect of way we, the way we manage that on our teams is medical students are paired with a physician. One medical student per one physician. You don't have one physician with a gaggle of five medical students. You may have a physician with a fourth-year student who's working relatively independently next to him or her, though he's still pro- he or she's still providing oversight. But first, second, third-year medical students, they get the most attention in all of medical education on a one-week trip with us. I never got that much attention from attendings when I was in medical school. I got too much attention. It wasn't the positive kind. Um, I saw another hand over here. Those are, those are great questions about our, our partnering, how long we stay in a certain area. We try to go again and again and again. We want to build capacity with our national partner to make disciples, to think a little, to think strategically. We also choose the hard places to go in. I, I feel that our call is to go into, into sites. As Mike mentioned, the, the primary goal is to reach unreached people with the gospel to make disciples where we're not doing, we're not the primary evangelists. The primary evangelists and disciple makers are indigenous folks who are then making disciples among those indigenous groups. And our, our, our uh, toolbox is to help open doors so that they can go into areas where they may not be able to go into. So we're looking for national partners who have that kind of vision or can grow that kind of vision. We have national partners in one country that have a 100-year plan for reaching the 98% of their population in that country that's, that's unreached. We have other national partners where we've, we've gone to a country for five years, and if you count up the, the number of patients seen and the people who have professed Christ for the first time, it's been in the hundreds over those five years. And yet the membership of the five churches that have been helping us has not changed at all. And there are no churches, no new churches that are being planted in that particular site. So that makes me at least scratch my head. Um, when we're going into an area and there are other groups that are there, other churches that are there able to evangelize, other medical groups can get into there, I say, that's great. Let's go find a hard place to go. We're always looking for harder places to go. And then we li- we're thrilled to pass the, the baton to, uh, to other groups. We're, it's painful. My, in, my uh, idealistic intent is to go in with, an, in, with an, in, uh, an exit strategy in mind. I want to talk about when we're going to leave with our national partner right up front because that's a better way of sending a message that, okay, there are some, there's this body of goals that we have, of different steps that we have. When we get through that, then we're going to leave because they're going to be more than able to handle everything on their own. Other questions? We're officially two minutes over, but, uh, hey, it's just a plenary. Oh, is it at 10? Oh, okay. So we can take more. Or we're hanging around afterward. Um, my email is donald.thompson at cmda.org, 
That's the eight-letter spelling of Thompson, T-H-O-M-P-S-O-N. And I can give you Mike's home phone number. He's most alert at 2 o'clock in the morning. Atlantic time. Atlantic time. Mid-Atlantic. Thanks so much for your attention.